Hi, and welcome to the Giant Task Podcast. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick. Summer is starting to wrap up. We've got kids heading back to school. And if you are trying to squeeze out one more weekend of summer where you sit by a pool and you soak in the sun and you just try to get just a little bit more relaxation, you are not alone. A lot of us are just trying to eke out every second that we can. And I've had a few friends ask me for a beachy kind of book as they try to have that experience. And one of the ones that I've been recommending lately is called Save What's Left. It's gotten a lot of attention this summer. It was a People Magazine Best Books of the Summer. It was picked by one of the network morning shows as a monthly book pick. And it's had some really great reviews too, calling it the very unbeach beach read. It is the story of Kathleen Dean. She goes through a divorce in midlife and she decides to move to a beach town because she gets inspired by these stories of a town that she reads each year in an old friend's Christmas letters. So she picks up and she just moves to this beach town, like turns her life upside down. And what she discovers is that reality is nothing like the letters. And that's where the story takes off. It is very funny. It's a very easy read. It's the perfect light summer book. Time Magazine described it as like a tongue-in-cheek type of a beach read, which is why they say the unbeached beach read. Anyway, a couple months ago, I got pitched from the publisher of the book uh, to do an interview with the author. So my process when I decide whether or not I want to accept a pitch and set up an interview is that I basically go down a rabbit hole on the potential guest. So I start with their name and then I'll, I'll plug in the book and, and then the rabbit hole gets deeper and deeper. And that's where it got kind of interesting because this was the worst rabbit hole ever that I'd ever gone down. <laughs> like I could find nothing about Elizabeth Castellano, the author. It was bizarre. Like I, I went to her personal website, which was elizabethcastellano.com, and this is literally what it said for her bio. Elizabeth Castellano grew up in a beach town. She lives in New York. Save What's Left is her debut novel. What? <laughs> How is that even possible? And I knew from looking at her picture on the site that she's pretty young, like maybe early 30s based on the experience she had. So what I couldn't understand is how does she not have an extensive social footprint? Because every expert I have ever had on this show has said that to be successful pretty much in anything, but certainly writing, you need to have some like social credibility to be able to sell yourself and to sell a product. But from what I could tell, this woman did not, and yet was being touted as the next big thing. And I got super curious about this. So it really made me wonder, do you really need an online brand to be super successful? Is it possible to be at the top of your field or to be spoken of very highly and not have this huge following behind you online? So I took the interview for two reasons. One, I really liked the book. And then two, I was dying to talk to somebody Liz's age and find out why she's not living every moment of her life online. And then how that is or is not affecting her professional success. And her answers were really surprising and may make you rethink your online footprint. So on this time to ask the conscious decision Liz made to not have a big social media presence, how that impacts her writing, and then also her life in general, and then the success that she has experienced, without telling you about it online, <laughs> with her new book, Save What's Left. Here's Liz Castellano on this week's Dying to Ask podcast. 
Have you ever wondered how did they do that? I do all the time. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and Dying to Ask is the podcast that gets me off a TV news set and into candid conversations with authors, entrepreneurs, athletes, and influencers I have been dying to talk to. Soak up the motivation that comes from learning how other people live their lives, how they take an idea or a goal, they follow through, and they pull it off. And maybe along the way, I'll get some answers to questions you've been dying to ask. Liz, welcome to the Dying to Ask podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. Of course. You know, when I um, have somebody on, I go down a rabbit hole. The research is always my favorite part of all this. And I can legitimately spend a couple hours cruising and listening to podcasts and stuff. You are a tricky one to research. I had a hard time finding a lot of background information on you. What's up? I know, very secretive. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> I just am, uh, I graduated from college and I had sort of odd jobs. I didn't go the traditional writer route, so I don't have an MFA and all of these publications. So yeah, this is my debut novel. And so I just decided I'll just do a bio with, grew up in a beach town and it's driving everybody completely crazy. I, I know, because apparently I'm not the only one to start an interview with you and say, um, can you tell me about yourself? Because I can't find anything Everybody on is like, what are you up to? Yeah. <laughs> That's sort of the focus. So that's uh, that's what happens when you do a short bio, apparently. I, I think it is. But, you know, I also found it kind of interesting because you're, what, 33? Yep. I don't meet many 33-year-olds, and I work with a lot of them, who have that little of a digital paper trail on themselves because, for the most part, people of your age have lived a life that is much more social media focused. Was that a conscious decision for you? Yeah, I got off social media a couple of years after college. I just decided not for me. Um, I don't like it. I don't like, I think there's more harm than good for myself. Um, so I got off it and then I just felt better. I just felt better being off of it. And so then I just stuck. Um, and, you know, there is this, you do miss things. I certainly, I had to film a few things for Instagram for GMA. And I, I couldn't even look at examples <laughs> to see what other people were doing. <laughs> so you definitely miss out on some things, but I find it's, uh, I can observe more. I'm more living in the real world. Oh, without a doubt. Listen, I, I say it with envy, trust me. And I, I think it's, I think it's wonderful, but I also know that like within publishing that social media presence can be like a big marketing thing. Has that been something that maybe you've been had to think about or do you care at this point because it's certainly not hurting you yeah I was worried about that I was you know always worried that is that what's going to hold me back from getting published that I don't have a social media presence and it's really been okay you know that it can be done and uh, my publisher did not push me to get on social media um, I do think it would have probably not made any sense because I would have been able to rack up maybe 10 followers in the time <laughs> so <laughs> probably wouldn't have helped that much um but I think it, you know, it can be done. Of course, it's being shared on social media, on the publisher's social media pages and things. Um, right. No, it's being shared on a lot of, I, I'll let you know, because I do have a yeah, very active account. I and I will, I will tell you, you're doing just fine. Like it, I see so many people buzzing this summer about Save What's Left, which is your new, your debut novel. What is it about? So it's about a woman who moves to a beach town and she really expects a fantasy because she's read a lot of beach reads. She's seen a lot of movies. And her friend lives in a beach town and she just thinks this will be paradise. And she's sort of at a crossroads in life. And she thinks, well, this will save me. And she arrives. And of course, it's anything but paradise. It is, um, 
you know, a lot of local politics, a lot of neighborhood drama, and she sort of falls down that rabbit hole. And uh, the more she does to try and help herself, you know, the deeper she gets into trouble to the point where it begins with a leaf blower complaint and ends with her being mixed up in a money laundering scheme. <laughs> so That's great. That's great. Yeah. What's, one thing that I found super interesting about your character, especially after I found out your age, was that your character is middle-aged. And a lot of people will write down an age to an age that they remember being, but I don't feel like I, I hear of a lot of writers who write up an age. Right. Yeah, it was very com it was very comfortable and natural for me. I and mean, people are like impressed with it. I found it uh, easier to do. I really just thought of myself in 30 years. That's sort of what I was doing. I am a bit of an old soul. I definitely have more of an older perspective. But um, yeah, I couldn't get a job in New York. And I always thought, uh, you know, I'm okay at design. And I thought, well, maybe I can get a job at Hallmark. That's in Kansas City. Yep. I'm not good enough to design cards for like the A holidays for the Valentine's Day or the Christmas. I won't be good enough for that. So I'll do the B holidays and I'll live in Kansas City and maybe that'll be okay. You know, maybe I won't write. Maybe I'll just do that. <laughs> so I sort of imagined myself if I had done that in 30 years and what what would I be thinking? What would I be up? <laughs> and that literally was the trajectory of the character. And that's the character's life. So she finds herself in Kansas City. She's sort of settled. She's sort of done, um, made some choices that are just like, the comfortable choice. And then she finds herself 30 years in, in Kansas City with this husband that has a sort of late midlife crisis and decides he's booked a solo ticket on a world cruise. And so Kathleen has to start a new chapter and find out what she wants. And so that's, that's where we start with her, but that's how I sort of uh, worked at it. Yeah, you know, I, I I love it. You know, and, and I think that that idea of of like your your next chapter or your second act not necessarily being your choice, but your life flipping is something that a lot of people can relate to, especially after the last couple of years where you just kind of never saw where you were actually going. Now you mentioned you you didn't go to college like pursuing something like an MFA, like with a really defined path, but was writing something that you always thought that you would do? What was the plan when you went to school? Yeah, writing was always something that was sort of in the background. I did a lot of it in high school. Uh, I had a little like humor column in the local newspaper here and I would get feedback from that and I loved that. And then in college, I got very involved in theater and I majored in theater and I've always been a big theater fan, big Broadway fan. And so that's what I did. And, and then I just, I graduated right in the recession with a theater major from a liberal arts college and no one was interested. Hmm. <laughs> and so... <laughs> You know, so I, I mean, I interviewed for everything, which is, um, I interviewed at, to give tours at a cemetery in the Bronx, in, <laughs> you know, like all kinds of things. That's awesome. Yeah. What, just, what's the interview like for something like that? Like, what's the most, do you, do you remember any of the questions? They must've been good. I didn't get far along in the process. It was a hard no. Um, so yeah, you have to walk backwards, I guess. And I guess I wasn't good enough at walking backwards and giving the tour. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I was a film extra and all, all sorts of things, um, but writing was always something I was doing constantly. I was always trying to write, and um, and so finally I landed on a story that that I thought I could really turn into a novel. And, and was that Save What's Left? 
Left. Yeah, it was. And so when did that start? Because Save What's Left is being described as one of the hottest books of the summer. If you look at any of the What to Bring to the Beach, it's on every top 20 list. And just yesterday, you were named GMA's pick for July, which is huge, very exciting. Um, when did the actual writing on that book start? That was It was during the pandemic. Um, and I was back at home at my parents' house in this little beach town that I grew up in. And uh, so I started writing it. I wrote it in about six months and uh, contacted a literary agent. She said, okay, I have some ideas for fundamental changes. So about half of it had to go. Wow. <laughs> every, every other chapters, because I kind of had like a dual timeline going on. And was, so that the, was that the first agent you had contacted? It was the first agent. I saw her name in uh, the New York Times profiling someone else. And I wrote her name on a post-it note because I was about you know, four chapters into the novel, I wrote her name and stuck it on my desk. And, uh, and she was the first one I emailed. And she's just wow. a dream agent. It's just, um, I was just so lucky. Because all of this was a first experience, it might be interesting to people to understand, like, what does that actually look like? So you write somebody's name on a post-it, you've got four chapters. Did you wait then until you had the book finished? And then how yeah. does that look? Do you do you email that person? What, what's that process actually like? Yeah, querying is hard. You have to write the entire book and not know whether you're going down the right path or not. So you're kind of, you're, you're on your own, especially I didn't have a writing group or, or any kind of readers or anything. And so it's just, you know, going in blind. And so you end up with a finished book. And I only sent her because there was no real information about submitting to her. Um, I sent her just a little query, just what the book was about. And I think she just wrote back one line, said, go ahead and send it. And and so then I sent her the manuscript and then we talked, we had one phone call and then I took out every other chapter of the book. So about half the oh. book had to go. Sounds heartbreaking. And so, I mean, I'm very, I'm, I'm not that precious about things like that. I had a, a teacher in high school, an art teacher, painting teacher. And, you know, I said, Mr. Fuller, you know, I can't get this painting to work. I can't, it's not working. And I was working on it for weeks. And he said, okay, I'll tell you what to do. And he took it and he just threw it right in the garbage can and said, stretch a new canvas. And he did that more than once. And I kept that with me that like, yeah, sometimes you just have to chuck it. You learned something from that experience and take it with you to the new canvas. What a great way to look at it. I love that. I'm actually writing that down. Stretch a new canvas. That's really, that's a great, great way to look at it. So, so you have an agent who says, okay, let's, let's get rid of half of it. And you start over again. So from the time you started writing to the time that you actually had something that the agent said was, was worth doing something with, how long was that? Yeah. So it was probably six months for the initial and then about six months uh, for the rewrite. And then we submitted it a couple of weeks later. And, and? and so uh, Anchor, which is part of Knopf, uh, bought it and a two book deal. And yeah, that one, then we started editing it more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. And uh, when did you start getting hints that this was going to be a big book for 2023? Like how does, what does that look like? Yeah, I'm trying to think. It really does feel like yesterday that I signed the contract and I've just been like, you know, tunnel vision in this book. Um, I found out about GMA in January. And so that was probably the first sign of like, wow, this is, you know, something. And then I had and to- do you, do you sit on that secret. then? Do you have to sit on a secret then? Yeah, it's top secret. Yeah. Wow. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, my mom was talking to some of my families in the FBI and I heard my mom talking to one of my cousins who's retired from the FBI and she said, well, you know, Liz has something in the city that weekend, but I can't tell you what, you know, this isn't the FBI, this is serious. <laughs> This is publishing. We can't tell. So it's very secret. Um, something, something tells me your mom's going to work her way into a book at some point if she hasn't already. I definitely stole some of her stories for this book. <laughs> That's great. That's great. So being, when, when you have a book that, that gets the seal on it, um, indicating it's part of a book club, whether it's Reese's book club, or I know Jenna has one on the Today Show, or you got the GMA book club. Um, how, how big a deal is that? And how life-changing can that be for an author? Yeah, it's a big deal. I mean, it's um, it's great. And I think it just sends it out to a lot more viewers, you know, a lot more readers that would normally maybe not see it. Uh, they have such a reach. Um, but yeah, it's it's a lot of behind the scenes with these book clubs. You know, there's a lot of taping and filming. And, you know, for a writer, it's so stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Who's not used to not used to those kinds of things? Um, so, what is the best advice that you've gotten so far then about the process? Because a lot of people will launch a first book, and it you know it's great to have it out there, and maybe they'll go see it in a local bookstore, but they might not get the same level of attention um, and maybe expectations that come along with what's coming your way. Yeah, I think it's just to take it one day. You know, I have a personality that I'm always looking like you know a month ahead, which I have yeah. to stop you know, that I have to like not worry about everything I have to do next week and, and just try and enjoy the moment, you know, try and just enjoy what's happening rather than being so nervous and so stressed. So I think we have to just take each experience day by day and and not, you know, worry about like the, the grand expectations, just let it come because it's, you drive yourself crazy, really. Yeah. I love knowing how people do their jobs, regardless of what they do. So I'm curious to know, what is your process like with writing? Yeah, so I, you know, I read all these interviews with authors and they're always like, I get up at 4 a.m. and I start exercising and then I sit at my den. I have some green juice. Yeah, I have leaves of grass on the desk next to them. And so that's not me. Um, I have, uh, you know, I'm a bit of a night owl. I like to write at night. Um, I usually complain all day. <laughs> And, and then I'll start writing and say, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't figure it out. Do um, you complain about the writing? And is that part of the process? <laughs> That's my process is complaining. It is. Yeah. 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 I, I have two teenage boys. I totally understand this. There's a lot of complaining in my house. Complaining. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, trying to figure things out and trying to figure out what's going on. I use index cards because I'm very high tech. Um, and I sort of work like a screenwriter probably does in a sort of storyboard. And so yeah. I'll have uh, like anecdotes or scene ideas or different things that I want added. And I'll sort of shuffle them around on a giant coffee table and try and figure out what goes where. And so that's how I do things. And I'm sort of taking notes all the time about what's a little story. Cause a lot of my writing is there's some flashbacks and then there's a lot of like commentary. There's sort of just my character's thoughts on different topics that, that are not uh, totally involved in the plot. So sometimes I can throw in any little funny idea that I have. I love that because sometimes people will talk about how, um, you know, and I've never understood this, but people are like, you know, the character just wrote the story for me. It sounds yeah, so, it sounds so yeah. meta. I'm like, really? Like my world doesn't work like that. Like I gotta do it. 
I gotta do the writing. I gotta like write the story or do whatever. Right. So my character tapped me on the shoulder and told me, it's like, well, my characters are not talking to me. They're not helping. No. No. <laughs> Spoiler alert, they're fake. They're not real. <laughs> me and the index cards. That's right. So, <laughs> so no, they aren't talking to me, unfortunately. I wish they would. <laughs> wish they would help. What, I mean, this is all like, I, I know still like a very compressed kind of timeline for you, but have you had other writers? Have you had a lot of communication with them? Have they reached out to you? Have you reached out to them? Like, is this a world that you've kind of tapped into yet? You know, I'm still getting involved in it. I'm still figuring it out. Um, I've spoken to a few authors. I've, there's been a few events and that's been fun. And it's nice because it's very isolating being a novel. Right. Yeah, it's um, so it's nice whenever you can get together and sort of hear other people's experiences or hear that they're going through the same thing. And that's always a big help. Yeah, I, I just reread um, Bonnie Garmus's Lessons in Chemistry um, for the second time, because it's one of my favorite books and, and her story and how she became a writer um, kind of reminds me a little bit of you, like you, all of a sudden this amazing book comes out and hers has been, you know, on the New York Times bestseller list for like solid year. And you're like, where did that come from? Where did this person come from? And, and your story is a little bit similar to that. Yeah. I mean, she's got me beat, but yeah. <laughs> for now, for now. Um, yeah, it's, it's very wild. It does feel like a movie. Sometimes it feels like this, uh, you know, that I just wrote a book about my little town, my little beach town. And, and it's really about just, I think that's part of it, that it kind of hits a nerve that a lot of people that live in beach towns or small towns will recognize the characters and the antics. And it's not really shown in a lot of these beach books. And yeah. so I think that's part of it. It's tapping into something that a lot of people already know. They've been to these little town board meetings and things. Oh, and yeah. The arguments about, you know, how many picnic tables are too many picnic tables and, you know, those kinds, <laughs> those kinds of things then that will go on for, you know, two hour discussion. Sure. So, yeah. So I think that's part of it. But yeah, it's just sort of been like uh, pretty unbelievable. And, you know, GMA was here a couple of days ago and the whole crew and everything in my little town. And, you know, it's it's like they arrived in the fictional town where all the neighbors are like, what's going on? You know, <laughs> <what's happening? laughs> Are you still living in the beach town? I'm here while the book tour is going on because I have to be here so often for events. And then mm -hmm. I'll probably move at the end of the summer. And then can you share where the beach town is or kind of part of the country? Or is that something that you share? It's the North Fork of Long Island is where I'm from. Okay. And how do people in the beach town feel about the book? And do they worry that the book is about them? Yeah, I don't know. I only know one person in town that's read it and she's the editor of the little local paper. And so she read it and liked it and definitely saw, you know, bits and pieces of our experience here. And she grew she up like, that's Jack. I know that's Jack. Yeah, you can't really find exact characters, but definitely the situations that, <laughs> um, so you won't be able to find exact people, but definitely what kind of um, things are going on in the town. Um, yeah, so I don't know. I hope they laugh. I hope they think it's funny. You know, the book was really written with a deep affection for this place and these people. And so that's what I hope they can see uh, that, uh, I love it. and that I'm one of these people, you know, I'm just as big a culprit, you know, I will also have, a, uh, you know, an opinion about where the beach sticker should go on the car. Should it be on the <laughs> And how many picnic tables? <laughs> how many picnic tables? Like I'll definitely get into that discussion. So, yeah. I love it. Um, one of the the great things that happens these days, um, 
after a book gets a lot of attention, especially if it gets one of the seals like yours has, is that there's usually word of a movie or a streaming opportunity after that. Has that come your way yet? Is anything that's in um, the yet. works? Nothing yet, but I think it's being looked at. I think How exciting. Around. Yeah, so we'll yeah. see. Yeah, that would be so exciting. So what's next for you? What do you want to do next? I mean, like it, it's, it's so amazing to have this level of success and respect so quickly launching a book. What would you like, where do you want to take this? Well, I have the second book going on and I, I mean, I would like to get involved with other, other authors, maybe in some kind of film situation and get involved in that. I would like to work with more people. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> You, you may have to get on Instagram. <laughs> Where are the people? They're all on social media, right? Um, They're online. <laughs> they are. That's why. I'm, yeah. So yeah, I'm not really sure. You know, I'm not sure what's what's next. Um, but I hope to continue down this path. Really. Um, yeah. So that's what fun. is the what is the greatest lesson that that's come out of this experience for you? Or the greatest the greatest thing? Probably that you know it's a little cheesy, but to not give up you know, so many times I thought about just giving up and just being like, it's impossible. You know, you can't break into publishing. It can't be done. Um, cause I definitely queried some other things before. And, you know, I, I tried some middle grade, I tried a little bit and I really didn't know. I mean, I just didn't know how it worked, but I was also like the kid in high school that was like, what do you mean the SATs are tomorrow? So, <laughs> so it wasn't like totally surprising, but, um, you know, I just stuck with it and I just kept trying and finally landed on the book that that worked. And so it is possible, even if you're a no one, even if you don't have any connections, even if you don't have an MFA, it, it can be done. And even if you don't have a digital footprint, don't have a digital footprint, like it can happen, you know, so. So, yeah, that's that's the real lesson that it, it can be done and you just have to kind of stick with it. And it's tough, but it can be done. But it can happen. And maybe some advice for people who are thinking about trying something like this, even if it's not writing, maybe it's just trying something different career-wise. Yeah. Um, I think trying to do what, um, like, well, with writing, I thought this was very funny. I thought this little town was funny. I thought the idea was funny of giving a, taking a look and at the beach read and turning it upside down and inside out. And I didn't know if anyone else thought it was funny, but sort of taking that risk, you know, and, and that's what the character does too. She takes a risk. She says, okay, I don't know. I don't know if I'll be happy in this new place, but I'm going to try. And so I think that's probably a good lesson to just take the leap really, and just trust yourself. What are you reading these days? I would love finding out what authors are reading. So I just finished the plot by Jean. Humphrey. Oh, yes. So good. Isn't, isn't it brilliant? Loved it. Brilliant. And what else did I read? I read Trust by, who wrote it? Oh God, now I'm blanking on his name. Has 30 Rock on the cover. It's a green cover. Yeah, okay. Anyway, Trust is great. Uh, what else? I'm always reading the newest Eleanor Lippman. I read mm -hmm. It's a great one. Um, so those, those are the last three. Good, well, those are some fantastic suggestions. I love it. And this is usually the time as we end the podcast that I ask you how people can follow you on social media, but I feel a little bit um, lame yeah. asking you that. But maybe I should. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I have a website. I'm online in that capacity, just elizabethcastellano.com. So if you really want to get into direct contact with me, that's the way. <laughs> that is the best way. And you can read the world's shortest bio, although it is accurate. <laughs> 
Absolutely true. <laughs> Liz, you're so much fun. And um, you wear success well, as my friend Edie would say. And I, I wish you the best of luck this summer. I mean, you've got exciting things coming up this summer and it it's well-deserved because the book is really, really funny and very different. Thanks so much. I appreciate it so much. It really means a lot to me. I have some really fun guests coming up in the next couple of weeks. So we'll be talking next week, family stress and anxiety with educational consultant Jen Curtis. She's been on the show before. She has four tips to make the school year less stressful for kids to help them be more successful in school and cut down on the overall family anxiety. Now, here's the thing. When I started looking at her pitch and seeing her tips, I realized Okay, those are great for kids, but these are even better for adults. So really, her tips are good for cutting down on family anxiety in general. So if you need a little reboot yourself, even if you don't have kids in school, I'll encourage you to listen to that episode. Elise Hugh is going to be on. She's the author of a book called Flawless, Lessons in Looks and Culture from the K-Beauty Capital. And Elise is going to be on talking about this new book that she wrote after spending a few years working in South Korea for NPR. Now, she was not there to write about beauty. She was actually there to write about North Korea and missiles and all kinds of serious stuff. But while she was there, she became heavily influenced and also fascinated by all things K-beauty. Um, you might recognize her these days. She's the host of TED Talks Daily as well. It's a podcast. And she's going to be challenging us to rethink our relationship with beauty culture, which, spoiler, challenges your relationship with yourself. So those are two interviews we have coming up in the next couple of weeks. If you liked this show, please share it with a friend and think about leaving a rating or review for it on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us right now. It is a 30 second ask. And I will tell you right now, I hate asking for anything. But the reviews and the ratings are a big, big deal in podcasting. And here's, here's why. In television, on the TV side, we actually have a rating service that every single morning, by 8.45 or 9 a.m., either makes or breaks my day because it sends out a daily report card of how many people were watching our news and at what time and for how long. So every day I know exactly how I did the day before, but in podcasting, it's totally different. You actually get ranked purely on downloads, and the quickest way to download is somebody sharing your show. So if you're not part of a big podcast network, which I am not, this show is not, you really are relying on individual listeners to spread the word. So that's my TED Talk. You can <laughs> see why your favorite podcasters say this all the time. Please leave a rating review or just share the show with a friend and ask them to give it a listen. You can always reach out to me on social media at um, Instagram is probably the best way to find me. You'll find me at runreadsip on Instagram, or you can drop me an email if that's easier. It's dfitzpatrick at hearst.com. Thanks for listening today. I'm Deirdre Fitzpatrick, and this is Dying to Ask.